HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. And I apologize for my confusion. I was confused between Pennsylvania Certifiers and Pennsylvania Seed Farm. But it's all coming together now. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. How's it going over there? How's the weather? Uh, the weather is actually excellent this week as opposed to um, last week. We have just a wonderful 80 degrees right now, nice and clear skies. It's great. Yeah, here too. It's like beautiful summer weather, not too hot, breezy, not humid. Plants don't seem stressed. Humans are not stressed. It's like um, <laughs> It's like normal or something. Yes, yes, it's very nice. Um, so I was just having a nice interview with the folks from the Pennsylvania Certified, uh, Pennsylvania Certifiers, and was asking them about incubation in the state, and they said, oh, we don't know very much about the seed farm, and, uh, good thing you're here to resolve this question before it bubbles up too hard <laughs> in the minds of any of our listeners. Tell us about the seed farm. Aha. Uh-huh. So the Seed Farm is a wonderful program. It's a new farmer training program as well as business incubator, um, and it's run in partnership with uh, Penn State and Lehigh County as well as um, some other really great private donors. Um, and it's really to teach young people who don't have a farming background how to farm, from everything from how to maintain a tractor to transplant and all sorts of good stuff. And so what's your involvement there? 
So I was an apprentice there last year, so it was um, a nine-month apprenticeship. We went through the beginning of the season all the way through the end um, of the, you know, the fall. And I really, I was doing a CSA on my own land at home as well, so it was a really wonderful experience uh, for my first year farming to be able to have a little bit of practice on my own and then as well as, you know, have the leadership and guidance from the seed farms. Oh, okay, we need to plant potatoes this week. Okay, I need to plant potatoes. Um, so it was really a, a fantastic experience. And so you're going to continue another year or you're on your own and feeling strong? Um, well, since I am lucky enough to have land, I only did the apprenticeship per portion. Um, there's also another part to the program where you become a steward and you can actually farm um, at the seed farm, be able to use their equipment and their greenhouses and everything at a reduced rate. Um, so it really helps to get the idea is to get new farmers actually farming, even if they don't have access to land. Um, but since I luckily do have land, I am now farming on my own land. And tell us about the dynamics. Like one story I heard in in Canada, there's a um, incubator farm in British Columbia that was starting out young farmers and getting them access to cheap capital and you know lower lower than lower than market rate buildings and lower than market rate land and lower than market rate housing and kind of helping incubate those young farmers. And there was a little bit of pushback in the community saying, um, well, you know, this market is kind of saturated with organic vegetables. It's not totally fair to, to just pump in these new people into the town. And I had never really heard a story like that of any pushback against um, new growers, but I, I can totally understand where that sentence would come from. So I just thought I should check in with you about whether that ever um, came across your screen or how you, how, you, how you think about that in your town. Um, we, I haven't experienced anything like that. In fact, actually been the opposite. Um, I mean, of course there's competition, but we're located, um, we're about an hour north of Philadelphia and an hour and a half and two new, two hours from New York City. Um, so there's a whole range of growers in our area from people who are, you know, like me just starting out doing a small CSA. Um, and then there are farmers who've been, you know, doing it for 20 years who are going to the green market in New York City and selling to restaurants. Um, and the seed farm has actually been a wonderful resource to actually go to those farmers' um, farms and see what they're doing and learn from them. So we haven't had any, you know, every the community's been really supportive of the seed farm. Um, and um, have you had any experience I mean, did, did you, like, one thing that's definitely happening now across the country is that there are more and more of these incubators starting up, and there are, um, you know, variations on the theme going on. People are starting to experiment with different kinds of lease agreements, different lengths of incubation, um, cooperative marketing, like all the produce that's grown by the incubated farmers being marketed um, by the incubator itself. Um, do you think you could talk a little bit about some of the principles or, or design ideas that you see in the 
in the seed farm incubator that you think really work? Um, well, it's, there are a couple things that I think that the seed farm does really well. And the first is as an apprentice in your first year, um, not only are you, you know, doing work on the seed farm and learning all aspects in, of farming, um, but there are also a number of classes um, that are through the Penn State Extension um, that we attend on anything from marketing to, you know, different growing techniques. And that's also where we got to visit a whole lot of other farms. Um, I think that was a really great component because, you know, you may pick up, you know, just seeing someone else's farm. I saw, you know, they had a piece of cultivation equipment that I'd never seen before that was perfect for my scale of farming and for my tractor. And I was able to then, you know, buy that piece of equipment without having to get an actual tiller and spend a lot more money. Um, so I really think that the visiting other farms and talking with other farms and building that network um, is a huge part of what Seed Farm is doing really well. The other thing um, that they're also doing is then the incubator program um, where you get that continued leadership and mentorship. Um, and I'm lucky enough that even though I'm not officially in the program, um, anymore I still feel that I can contact any of the people that I was you know, working with and say, hey, my tomatoes are doing this, what should I do? Or can you come out to the farm and just take a look and let me know, you know, if you see anything that I should be doing better. Um, so really creating that community um, and network of other farmers has been invaluable. Yeah, it's like having an alumni network or um, like being yes. a sorority or Yes, so it's, let's talk it's really great. In fact, I'm actually... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, tell your story. We're here to hear your story. Okay, well, I um, got into farming basically because I love to eat really good food. <laughs> um, and I think that's... I'm finding that's more a more common theme among farmers than I had originally um, anticipated. But I grew up cooking and really enjoying food, and then as I got older and started learning more about where our food came from and I had a child, um, then farming really became what I knew I wanted to do. And what's your farm like? What's the, what's the um, operating system that you're working on? What's your market? What's your, what's your mission? So I, we have um, about six acres total of land, which um, out of that I have about an acre to an acre and a half that I can eventually put into vegetable production. Um, we have kind of a, a hilly farm, um, so I also have chickens to make use of some of the lands that I can't um, cultivate. So we have a laying flock of about 85 and then I do a couple batches of broilers, and I sell everything through um, CSA as well as a small farmer's market. So you're basically the um, you're basically following the typical cutie cutie pie method: veggies and eggs. Any um, any flower? Yep. I, I mean that in a loving way. Um, any <laughs> any weird ideas that you're going to shove in next year or in the next five years? Are you thinking 
thinking outside of that um, immediate frame, or what's what's your thinking? Well, I mean, there's you know, there's always that's the the fun thing about farming is next year is always going to be better um, <laughs> and bigger. Um, but there are certainly a number of different things that I want to try. My focus, you know, I, I grow everything for the CSA, but the thing that I really love growing the most um, are tomatoes. I'm just crazy about tomatoes, um, and garlic also grows really well on my soil. So one thing that I'm really um, concerned doing is finding some sort of value-added product um, because... Uh, I know people are really busy in coming to market and buying fresh vegetables and preparing food. You know, even I don't have time to do it as much as I would like. Um, but if I could make a value-added product like tomato sauce and fresh pasta from the eggs from my chickens, I think that that could be really well received. So that's something I'm toying with. So, like, ketchup or or... Um, kind of any different um, like sauces and spreads. The main thing I think I would that I'm you know recipes I'm trying to develop right now are for um, heirloom tomato sauces for like a pasta sauce um, with flavored with different herbs to kind of match the different varieties of tomatoes because you know each tomato variety really does have kind of a unique taste and flavor profile. So trying to, you know, bring out the best of each variety is something I'm experimenting with. Well, I just went to, um, I just did a big journey to meet a bunch of young farmers in Europe, and I went to a trade fair where these guys have made 17 different pepper sauces, like, you know, like hot sauce. They made mm-hmm. hot sauce out of all these different varieties of pepper, and... Um, then they named them all from pepper, and they were selling them for six <laughs> euros for a little tiny jar. I was really astounded. I guess that's in the middle of a city, and it was fancy and stuff, but it seemed like a pretty good plan to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I have to, to do a lot more research on it, but it seems like an interesting prospect. So. Yeah. Well, and if you're also if you're doing it always like the same process, but just only with different kinds of peppers, I think you could probably get away with only having one scheduled process, like only doing the official paperwork one time, um, which might be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I hadn't thought about that <laughs> that aspect of it, but that would be nice. So you're not feeling like there's market saturation. You're not worried about too many more people starting small farms. You're feeling like, hey, man, don't get so complicated. It's all going very well. (laughs) I think that, you know, I think that the more people that are growing than locally and the more locally sustainably grown food that's available, um, the better. Like I said, we are in a very, you know, a a really good location because we have access to, you know, I think someone told me within a day's drive of where we live, we have like about half or two-thirds of the population of the United States. I mean, we're in a really excellent location. So we can get to, like, like I said, New York, Boston, Philly and D.C. and Baltimore all within five or six hours. So 
I'm not feeling that. I could understand where people would be, but I think in general, you know, the more people are eating locally, the better it is for everyone. You heard it here first. Move to Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, and we also have really great fertile soil, too, especially down in Lancaster County. It's a really great place to be. Um, let's talk a little bit about the infrastructure. Since we're going to do this whole Promoting Pennsylvania Hour of Greenhorns Radio, let's just, like, go there completely. Tell me a little bit this about you. Okay. Tell me a little bit that this was so wonderful, but let's talk about the infrastructure that exists there and the history of family farming um, and the landscape that exists and why or why not that um, those factors conspire to support this new movement. Well, I think one of the major things um, in our area, especially with organic and sustainable farming, is um, Rodale Institute and Rodale Incorporated are based here um, and, ever, you know, one of the pioneers of organic farming. So there really is a long history of organic and sustainable farming in the Lehigh Valley. Um, so we're lucky to have all of those resources. There are, you know, farmers that I go to market with that have been, you know, farming organically for 20, 30 years. Um, so it's really a unique place to be because of that history. Um, and our landscape is a, you know, we're in a pretty pretty good location. We get, you know, cold winters that can help to um, kill pests and diseases and nice, long, warm summers. So it's good. And what about the farm sizes? Like, you found this beautiful um, six acres to farm on, and that sounds so dreamy and wonderful. Um, is that an easy? Is that an easy acreage to find? Is that a anomaly? Um, what's the what's the deal on farm sizes and farm well, houses? And um, there are is mostly in agricultural. Well, there's a lot of agriculture um, land that's still left. One of the unfortunate things, you know, it's a great and unfortunate thing about our location, because we are within commuting distances to two major cities, um, the price of land has really skyrocketed, um, and a lot of really good farmland has also been turned into people farms and developments. Um, I, my husband started looking for land back in about 2000, and every time he, he was looking for about 20 or 30 acres, and every time he would get enough money saved up, then the price would just go up, and everything just did keep getting out of reach. Um, and we had looked for a number of years, and we had wanted a bigger piece of land, but in the end, you know, the six acres really will allow me to do a whole lot, and it fit within our budget. So, you know... <laughs> 20 or 30 acres would be nice, um, but you'd on our budget, we would have had to probably move about another half an hour, 45 minutes away from um, where we are now, and we're still about 20 minutes away from the center of town. So, you know, I think it's a really good size, and there are certainly many, um, many small farms and many larger farms around where we live. We're actually one of the smaller plots. But most of them are being farmed conventionally in corn and soy. 
So. Well, that's the trade-off, isn't it? Yes. Um, did you ever seek any support during this during that looking period, or uh, have any conversations with uh, other folks who are kind of going through the same thing, or armed service providers, or lawyers, or like when you were going through this drama of like, how do we make a decision? What size farm can we afford? What are our priorities? How do we evaluate that? Did you go through that all alone, or was there some team some team involved? Um, unfortunately, I did not know the people that I know now when I was looking for a farm. Um, it was basically just my husband and I looking online and uh, trying to figure out, you know, for ourselves what we wanted. Because at that time, I was like, well, you know, I want a farm, and he wanted to, you know, not live in a development, and he wanted land. Um, but farming wasn't necessarily our primary consideration when we were buying our land. Um, we lived there in our house, too. Um, so we were, fortunately, were looking for other things and really didn't have um, all of the resources that I know are available now. Um, that certainly would have been a lot more helpful, and we probably would have ended up with a much flatter piece of, piece of land. Um, but, you know, we have really great grading soil, so I never have to worry about anything rotting because um, we're on a sale hill, so everything goes straight down. Well, there's always an upside. Yes. <laughs> um, so one thing to know is that there are a lot of resources now available because of this grant money that's been flowing down, tumbling through the passageways of policy in order to arrive and support and sustain this growing movement of young farmers who, of course, are here to serve the public interest and are starting to be supported a little bit by um, some public funding. Do you want to highlight a couple of examples of programs and projects um, or trainings or workshops that you have participated in or know about that have really helped? Um, well, when it be, before I officially decided to start farming, um, I took a number of classes through uh, the Penn State Extension. There's a wonderful woman, um, Tiana DuPont, who really worked hard to get a lot of grants um, to bring new farmer training to the Lehigh Valley. Um, and it's you know, a lot of her hard work is why we have such fantastic classes. We have people driving from you know, an hour or two or three away to come to some of these classes because, um, you know, they're unique to our area. So those were really great. Um, and then some of the other funding that I'm looking at is, you know, some funding through the NRCS. I'm going to be putting up a high tunnel. Uh, so that's really exciting um, to have opportunities to work with that agency. Um, and then, you know, I'm also looking at applying for different uh, SAR grants to try and do some research and look at some different ways of growing stuff. So I'm trying to make use of the resources that I now know that are available. Well, good job, because we, we can't take this stuff for granted. They're, they, they may just cut it. Um, they may just cut it any moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Um, so I wanted to make sure to, to give a chance for you to think about any events you wanted to remind uh, listeners about that are going on in your neck of the woods. We have a bunch of events coming up in Greenhorn World, um, especially in uh, September. But I should give a little call out for the Blackfly Ball. Blackfly Ball in Machias, Maine. That's the um, annual gathering of the Beehive Collective where they have um, a grain tall full of good food and good fun and good friends. And afterwards, there's actually a, a wonderful gathering for cultural workers and political artists. It's called Gabfestry. Yeah. Um, Gabfestry.org is their website for that project. It's a week-long conference for cultural workers and political artists. That doesn't inspire you. Um, I don't know what will. It's, um, <laughs> again, the 19th through the 24th of August. And then September is just really a big time for farm parties. There's one. There's about five farm parties. Uh, and one weekend in September, so you should figure out which one you're going to go to way ahead of time and make sure your friends are going there, too. You got any parties or events you want to make, um, um, make an announcement about? You know, there are a whole bunch of different PASA events, such as the Pennsylvania Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture, um, and I know the PASA conference is in February, but other than that, I'm... Too busy for me, unfortunately, to think about social events right now. <laughs> That's good. That's fine. We're, I think you have every right. So <laughs> everyone just keep thinking about farming, and, and, and when, once you get tired enough to lie down on flat on your back, from there you can, um, you can think about social events in the fall. Sounds good. Uh, okay, I'm glad we have consensus on this topic, and uh, hopefully we'll get some consensus on some more topics. This has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, and I look forward to talking to you all again next week. Thank you for joining. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>